Good morning. Most of you are here doing pizza. Just for coming in late. It is not because I disrespect his teaching. A number of things that come up, including my forgetfulness, that uh, necessitated that. But I do appreciate the, the heart. I appreciate my son's message. God's hand is on his heart and his life. And I, for one, and it's his father, I'm very excited that your son's God's hand is on his son. That's uh, nothing could be better than that. Very excited about that. Um, we're going to be looking uh, at the book of Colossians. Oh, one other thing. Um, yes, you, I look kind of scruffy this morning, <laughs> and I realize if Elaine were here, she'd be protesting that. Dory would too, but uh, I, I will shave probably not tonight because I got to get ready for the night. But I will shave. But I had uh, I didn't wear a shirt and tie. I know that Dory likes me to wear a shirt and tie. But that's because I have for my arm stitches that I had the skin cancer removed. And uh, the, they said to not wear a bandage or anything for a couple of, a couple of weeks or so. Well, actually, for after that, too. So uh, I just didn't want to get a shirt on there that I might get blood on so I said, try to wear this. But anyway, we're going to recover. God's in charge. They're going to let me know in two weeks I go and have the stitches taken out. And they go, they'll give me the results of the biopsy. I, I already know it's supposed to be skin cancer, so I don't know what the Bible is for, but that's all right. God's in charge. So, so thank you for your prayers. And now, if you take your Bibles and turn over the book of Colossians, uh, we've been looking at uh, Paul's ministry to the church at Colossae and been watching Paul express his gratitude for that church and for what's going on there. And... Uh, he is in prison in Rome, and uh, he writes this. Before I say, before we read the text, let's just ask the Lord's blessing in prayer on this time. Lord, we do come to you, and uh, thank you for your goodness to us. I am so aware of the abundance of your mercy, of your grace, a torrential downpour of goodness that comes to us, and we do not deserve it. You have showered us with blessing, with mercy, with grace. And uh, I just thank you for it. Thank you for your patience with me. And uh, thank you for what you're doing here at this church. And uh, thank you for each and every person here. And I ask you that this morning as we look at your word, that it will be your word that is taught, um, that uh, Jesus Christ would be exalted and lifted up, and that it would be him and him alone that is really honored and glorified here this morning. And I pray that in his name with thanksgiving. Amen. In the uh, first chapter of the book of Colossians, of Colossians uh, we got down to verse 20 where we started looking at the subject of the glory of Christ. And in those verses there, 20 through uh, around 20, 22, he talks about Christ, what he's done, uh, it was a Christ who reconciled all things to himself. Um, he's made peace through the blood of his cross. It was through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. This is verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated and enemies in mind and in evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And then verse 23, which kind of serves as a transition there, starts out, if indeed, 
you continue firmly in the faith, grounded, steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So that what he's saying here is all these blessings of salvation that are ours are there uh, since we are producing the fruit of continuing on faithfully. In other words, continuance and faithfulness is an indication of the reality of salvation. And uh, so that's what he's saying there in that. And so he says, if you continue on to the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and then watch this, of which I, Paul, Paul identifies himself there personally, first person, I, Paul, was made a minister. Uh, the word minister is a word for servant. You can even translate it. In fact, some places it is transferred, translated deacon in other passages. But Paul was made a minister. And uh, that's where that kind of kicks us off to our study this morning. As we look at this ministry that Paul has. And if you have a bulletin there, you can kind of follow along if you want to do so in the outline. Where we're going to look, first of all, at the circumstances of this ministry of Paul. And then the commission. And then the content, and then the conviction, and um, so it's 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 encouraging to me, because I'm in the ministry as well. Not don't stand a candle to Paul's ministry, but we are both in the same ministry. We're accountable to the same Lord. We're going to stand before Him. Uh, that's a very very serious call and a serious challenge. And uh, so I and I don't want to take it lightly. And I have taken it like it sometimes, and I just have to pray and ask the Lord to, to renew the fire, to, to encourage the, the concern I have for the church and help it not to be discouraged at some, you see what I'm saying, that there are a lot of emotions that take place, just uh, because we're emotional creatures, but there is a stability, and that is the Lord's, and he is on the throne, and he's in charge. And, uh, Mistakes that he makes are non-existence. There are no things. There's no new revelations, new plans, new uh, changes in doctrine or anything like that. He is stable. He's on the throne. And uh, he works through us. And while it does look like in my life at times that he makes mistakes, he doesn't. Uh, he uses, the scripture says he uses the foolish things, look in the mirror, to confound the wise, to confuse the wise, to show the greatness of God's calling, God's mercy, and God's work. And so uh, we're, we're coming to this passage, and it begins in the verse we were looking at, which kind of is a transition, begins with that word, if. And uh, that word, if, there are two possibilities uh, to, to be expressed an unfulfilled condition. If you don't do this, then this is what's going to happen. But in this case that we're looking at here, where it appears as an indicative, um, it's assuming that they already have the faith. It's worded in such a way when it says, if indeed you continue the faith, it is assuming in that text that you're continuing in the faith, firmly grounded, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Um, that word firmly grounded means to lay a foundation. Uh, it's a perfect tense. And so what he's saying there is that if you are firmly grounded with the result that that firm groundingness is going to carry you through and and make, help you remain faithful throughout your walk with the Lord. God does that. We can't do that. We can't really promise anything other than, I mean, no, we can do like Peter did in, 
and say, even if all these other disciples here forsake you, I never will. And Jesus then turned to Peter and said, you said you won't, but you will. And I pray for you that after you have been converted, after you have turned around, Peter, that you will be used to strengthen your brothers. And the Lord knows. We, we get confused sometimes, but uh, the Lord knows. And so he's the one that's grounding us so that we stay grounded. The word steadfast uh, just kind of amplifies that being grounded and means it's a settled uh, ground, a foundation that's firmly established. And that's what he's talking about. Uh, and not moved away or detoured from the hope of the gospel. The, the hope of the gospel puts a future tense to the to the blessing that we receive from the gospel. It's not just not just um, benefits and blessings and provisions today, but it is benefits and blessings and hope that goes forever into the future. It's a it's a glorious hope. I don't I don't think we really in fact I'm certain we really don't appreciate the greatness. We talk about heaven, but we really don't appreciate the greatness of it and the, the goodness of it and the privilege that is ours to be able to behold him and to know him and to know that he knows us and still loves us. And still is working in our hearts and lives and he is he is he knows us infinitely better than we know ourselves um, and i i'm not sure that i i like that but i i'm not sure that i can face him knowing that he knows what i'm like without being somewhat embarrassed and yet he knows it he is absolutely in charge of that knowledge and that information about us and he loves us and he has come for us to work in our hearts and lives and to, to make us more like himself so that we can have that great exchange of, of us being treated as he should be treated and he was treated as we should be treated. And so this is a great, great reality. We're privileged, by the way, to stand or sit here this morning and talk about the Lord and witness about him and study about him uh, th this is really, this is number one high quality truth about the Lord and to learn about him. And we are very privileged and also responsible for the things that God shows us. And so here we can begin now in, in, in our text. And the first thing we see here when, when Paul writes are uh, the circumstances, and that's in verse 4. Paul writes in verse 24. In fact, Maybe I ought to read that whole section and then we'll get back to it. Verse 24, Paul writes, <clears throat> Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and I fill up what is lacking of Christ's afflictions in my flesh on behalf of his body, which is the church, of which I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God given to me for you, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifest to his saints, whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present 
every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his working, which he works in me in power. First thing are the circumstances, verse 24, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and I fill up what is lacking of Christ's afflictions in my flesh on behalf of his body, which is the church. What is he doing? He's writing from prison there. And he's commenting now on the circumstances which are his sufferings. He's suffering. He's in prison. Now he's in the, he's in a Roman prison. And the Roman prison, um, remember in Acts 28, we talked about that. Uh, when he was there, it said he was, he entered Rome. Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. And then the soldiers were affected by that. In fact, in some places it says that the soldiers actually send their greetings through Paul's letter to the churches. Some had come to know him. Uh, he stayed there, according to verse 32 years, and he was in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came. And so he had, insofar as being incarcerated in prison, it was not really a hard incarceration in the sense. Now, it was true that he depended on other people to provide for his food and stuff like that, but that was the case. Paul was so well known and appreciated. There were lots of people that would come and they would, I'm sure they would take up, uh, take turns providing for the apostle and stuff. And I'm sure they would come and, and talk with him. I know that I would want to do that and spend time with the great apostle. And so, but his suffering was not just limited to that. He, throughout his ministry, had suffered and had been uh, treated roughly because of the gospel and the people hated him and they plotted his death, the Jews especially plotted his death. And so he had a, a difficulty there and he was, he was forever facing that. And he does, he even talks about it uh, the, in Philippians about the, the fellowship of Christ's suffering, being participating in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. And so in the middle of this suffering, he says something very strange. If you've been reading the book of Philippians, you know that Paul talks about joy and rejoicing over and over again. And that's what he talks about here. Uh, in fact, it comes out right there at the very beginning. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings, which is a strange thing to say, because if you're suffering, you, you don't rejoice. You gripe and complain about it. <laughs> At least my tendency is to do that. We can complain and stuff like that. I, a lot of times people that come through the line at work and they'll uh, see how they're doing. I, I talk a lot, as you know. And, and they'll say, one of the comments is, why can't complain? And very frequently I will say, well, it doesn't do any good anyway. And I think, although I don't always say it, I think that if you complain, it's an indication you think you're getting better than you do. You deserve better than you're getting. That's right. We certainly do. And now that's what you you you're getting a lot better than you just. And uh, we're we're just really blessed by the Lord. And so here is this this uh, opportunity here in the middle of this suffering. Paul rejoices in that suffering, um, and he is able to to put on a. I don't want to say a smiling face because it sounds artificial, but that it, there is joy that emanates from his life. Bible doesn't Bible doesn't talk about us 
doesn't say anything about, for example, Jesus saying, complete my, make my fun complete. But he might say that about joy, make my joy complete. My joy I give unto you, not my fun. Fun is probably uh, something that happens when we are pursuing <coughs> something we really want to do. Uh, maybe it's um, go to Disney World uh, or take a cruise or go on vacation or buy a new car or get the well fixed or a new computer or what we get things and sometimes we get these things and we have fun we may have a I know that I enjoy watching uh, football college football uh, if it's the right team and I enjoy doing that but and that's fun unless you lose then it's not fun anymore but anyway um, fun is a result of those things but joy is different joy is a deep-seated reality and in the middle of suffering we can have joy we can have real joy in the middle of suffering and um there there are some things where that that i think some reasons why we can can participate in this suffering and have joy um and i and i was reading a commentary by john and he mentioned some of these things and i thought it was very good so i'm going to kind of lay them with you for a second um one of the reasons that we can have uh, joy is because it moves us closer to Christ. Suffering moves us closer to Christ. Now, we've already seen that this morning. We were talking about people who have a bad report of cancer or something like that. And immediately they start wanting prayer. They ask for prayer. They ask us to really take that seriously. And that's, that's understandable, isn't it? Uh, we have a Bible study at the Ramble. Uh, if any of you men would like to come, you're welcome to come and join us. Uh, they're good guys. They love the Lord. They are, as far as I know, all of them from very well-to-do uh, jobs, by, uh, CEOs and other things. They're independently wealthy, as far as I know. They live in, in very impressive areas. But, and so they, they're not necessarily stranded you know in an economically difficult task and are worried about where they're meeting the next food's going to come from or their meal or something like that they all are pretty well taken care of and uh, we think well if i just had all this money i would be okay but the fact is that we are all vulnerable and so somebody who has uh, the wealth for example of a donald trump like that all the lord has to do is to give him a, a brain tumor and uh, immediately, especially if it's inoperable, immediately you are all the money you have, you use it. You can't. It won't do you any good. And so the Lord knows how to put us in circumstances to make us aware of our vulnerability and His goodness to us. He knows how to do that. And Paul, in the circumstances here, is relating that he is suffering, but that that suffering is producing joy. He rejoices in his sufferings because the sufferings draw him closer to Christ. And it also, uh, when you go through suffering like that, um, it produces assurance. Um, Paul said in Philippians that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed 
to his death. Now, we were looking at that this morning about a grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies to its own goals, its own comfort, its own ease, and its own world just dies. And out of that death, God produces the fruit, life. And uh, But if it doesn't die, it doesn't have the life. And that's kind of the same thing that happens in suffering uh, when we the Lord enables us to conform to his death so that he can produce the fruit. And part of that fruit is the, the assurance and the reality that we belong to him. I remember in the, uh, the series that we saw from John MacArthur on Calvary, the comedy of Calvary or the Calvary connection, I think exactly how it is, but it's five or six message, excellent, excellent, excellent message. <clears throat> but one of the things that um, John pointed out was the thief when uh, the, Jesus turned to the thief and said, today you will be with me in paradise, be with me in paradise. John, John said, and I hadn't thought about it, but he's right. He said, what a, an exciting thing to hear from the Lord because he is being told by the Lord himself, today you will be with me in paradise. There's no more guessing. There's no more if and and. Would you like to have the assurance to know for an absolute fact that you're going to be with the Lord when you die, and there's no question about it, you know for sure that's a good thing. And uh, that's kind of what suffering does. Suffering, when you go through suffering, because it draws us to the Lord, puts us on our knees, makes us sensitive. Uh, Rick talked about that when he went through his cancer, that uh, he really produced uh, assurance in his life, and, and uh, it does that. It, God knows, he's, he knows what he's doing. And we do have suffering, and we do have hardship, and we do have hard times. I was talking to Dennis about that, and Dennis said that's one of the hard things he, he struggles with right now. And you can pray for him. We didn't mention his name this morning, but we can pray for him because he's having a hard time. He's lost his, his sweetheart. And so he's now you go home to an empty house or an empty bed, and, and you miss that. You've been married for many years, and now all of a sudden the Lord has taken your better half away from you. You understand what I'm saying? And it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's one thing uh, after we've gone through it. Like I've, Elaine has been going since October 2013. So now I'm used to going home, not to an empty house, but to an empty house without people. They're just cats and they're very sweet and I enjoy them very much. And they're, they're companions and stuff like that. They're getting older. They won't be around much longer either, probably. And it's one thing to talk about that. That's another thing to really go through it when you are suffering like that and the person that you love is taken from you. But it draws you to the Lord. It has for me, it has it amplified my quiet time exponentially because I'm alone. And so I can pray out loud, I can talk out loud, and, and uh, I can, if I want to yell at the Lord, I can yell at him. If I want to laugh, I can laugh or cry or sing. Do you see what I'm saying? And I'm not self-conscious. I'm not worried about what my wife would think. Are you okay? Whatever in the other room. You see what I'm saying? So it, it is a good thing. Another reason why suffering uh, is, is a good thing like that is it assures us of our future reward um, with Christ. Um, we know from Paul says in Romans 8, uh, the Spirit himself testifies to our spirit that we are the children of God. We have that assurance as we just said. Uh, but we also... No, what Peter says, if you if you are insulted, I'm sorry, yeah, if, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, persecuted, you are blessed because the spirit of glory 
and of God rest on you. You have that presence. You have his presence with you. And uh, Paul says in Romans, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We go through suffering, but it's not permanent. And the suffering has a purpose. And the suffering is orchestrated, molded, equipped, and used of God to exactly fit our situation in our circumstances to produce the growth, to give the assurance, and help us to really get home safely. Look at that. It, it, it is. Someone has said that that when we have good times, the things are all comfortable, God whispers. But when the bottom drops out and we suffer, he yells. And that's true. Because he speaks loudly in our suffering and difficulties. And I'm not, I know I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I know you know that already. You may get tired of hearing it. Uh, you may wish that, that it wasn't that way, but it is. And when suffering comes, it will produce the fruit that is necessary in our lives. Gracious mercy so anyway the suffering is is there it's good maybe one more thing uh, is that the testimony of our suffering speaks to other people people see what we're going through they do watch i've had that i've had that personal experience of work i, I have a, a friend he's dead now but he was at, at work and there's a we're in printing at Billmore press and i witnessed him and talked to him and uh, he's, he's always trying to find holes in the scripture and find reasons why he shouldn't believe and stuff. He's kind of a vocal skeptic or whatever. Wasn't mean, wasn't harsh, uh, but he was just almost like he was a little bit bitter, maybe. I don't know that he was. I maybe he put words in his mouth. But I do know that we had a, a young a, a man, an older man, who was a preacher who came working there. And uh, we talked back and forth and had some some kind of fellowship together. And uh, then John came to me one day, he said, do you believe that, um, that the preachers should pray when they eat? And I said, well, yeah, I guess so. So it's a blessing, I do that. And he said, well, this guy doesn't do it. He eats and doesn't, doesn't say or do anything. And I talked to myself that right that morning, that is interesting that you're watching. People are watching you like that. And they are, they do watch. And uh, when you go through suffering, and you really, the bottom is really falling out, uh, it's difficult. And it, it, uh, it speaks to people and they, they listen to that and they are aware of that. One more thing I will add to that, and that is that the suffering also, not only uh, people, other people watch, but John said something about Satan is confused or that uh, Satan wants to destroy us, but suffering uh, exalts the Lord, because you know, he's encouraged and you're given strength to go through the suffering. And the example I thought about when I read that was Job. John didn't mention it, but I thought about Job. Job went through some massive suffering, but that suffering turned out for good, not only for Job's life, but for his three friends. Although at the time the Lord told his three friends there, what you said is wrong. I'm going to, you need to go to Job and humble yourself and tell him that you're sorry and that you want him to forgive you. And if Job, Praise for you. I will hear his prayer and forgive you of your sins. So you, 
you've run your mouth a lot, which is which is an important thing to remember for us. Is we, I'm a pastor, and you give counsel to people. You want to be sure that your counsel is grounded in the scriptures and is accurate counsel. So here is this example of suffering in Job's life, which uh, turned out to be uh, an illustration of victory and righteousness in Job's life over the powers of darkness. And uh, that's very, very important. Well, let's look at one more thing I have to do quick. Uh, and that is not only the, the circumstances of Job's, of the, of the, Paul's, of the suffering, the writing from prison, but also the commission. Verse 25, uh, Paul writes, of which I was made a minister. That little phrase there, of which I was made a minister, means in the church, of the church, in the work of the church, of which I was, by the church, was made, uh, not by the church, but because of the church, was made a minister according to the stewardship from God. Paul was made a, a servant, a minister, a, a servant of the Lord. Um, please notice there that in all of the cases where you have somebody that is put into the ministry, it is God who does it. And it is, we recognize it. Uh, I'm, I'm aware of people and God's hands on their lives and working their lives and it's the work of God. We recognize that, but it's not that it's not that you can grip your teeth and stomp your foot and say, I am going to become a man of God. Can't do it. You don't have that ability. It's God's work. He may give you desire. He's given me that desire, and I've prayed that prayer a lot, but I can't do it. It has to be the Lord working in me and through me and to me. Because I'm just not that kind of material. I'm very selfish, very self-centered, very egocentric. And, uh, and we all are. We're all the sons of Adam. Sons of Adam. We, we carry that self-centered struggle. And so Paul writes here in verse 25 that I was made a servant or made a minister. The word could be translated deacon, but we're not putting the office of deacon there. Paul is a minister. According to the stewardship. Now, the word stewardship is a complicated word. Weiss says this about it. He says it's actually a word that speaks of a house steward. One to whom is given the responsibility of administering the laws regulating the proper conduct of affairs in a household. So Paul is saying, I was made a steward. I was made... Uh, like a house steward to an estate, uh, I was made to be given with that kind of responsibility of administering laws regulating proper conduct in the affairs of the household. I'll read that one more time. It speaks of a house steward, one to whom is given the responsibility of administering the laws regulating the proper conduct of affairs in the household. And notice, please, very important part of that is the fact that it comes from God. I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God. That's his commission, the stewardship from God that was given to me, not for me. What does it say? Given to me for you. So Paul's life and the stewardship that he has and the responsibility he was given, all of this was there to serve and minister to the church and to the people that are, that are under his care. That's a pretty serious responsibility. Responsible to Almighty God, 
to how you respond to and help the people there in the church under your care. That's really important. I, I, you know what? But uh, one of the things that really speaks to me is when Paul was giving us in Corinthians, talking about the sufferings he'd gone through, being shipwrecked, and all these things that had happened. One of the things he said at the end was, more than all of that was the concern for the churches. That that concern was a real burden. And I pray for that. I pray the Lord, don't let me just coast by and not be concerned because the people, that, that's really important to be concerned for the people, but not not just important to be concerned. I've asked the Lord to, to I'd rather burn out serving the Lord than, um, than burn out living for myself or going on a cruise or whatever. I mean, I enjoy cruises. I really do. Lady and I went and we did it and we, we thought about talking seriously about why don't we do it again next year or the year after that. It's a lot of fun. Going to Disney is a lot of fun. All this other stuff is a lot of fun. But I want to burn out. If I burn out, I want to burn out serving the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? Not because I have some kind of complex that I don't want to be happy. That's where real happiness is found in serving the Lord. That's where real fulfillment is found. And that's that's what I want to do is I want my life to really count for the Savior uh, and, and to be used of Him and not not just have uh, all of these stickers on my car, places I've gone, vacations I've done, and uh, concerts I've attended. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want my life to, that, that, I want it to be used of the Lord like that. And so uh, here's this response, the stewardship that was given from, from God to me for the church, so that he says, so that I might, and here again is this commission, this this discharge my commission or fully carry out the commission that was entrusted to me. Paul says, I want to do it completely. I want to do it fully. I want to be faithful with that. Um, and it's connected there with the preaching of the word of God, fully carrying out the preaching of the word of God. The preaching does mean study, does mean understanding the scriptures. It does mean not just and I heard John talk about that, and I thought it was very good. Not just the, the, the ability to preach, but the obedience to that, the quality of life. That Because if, you, if you're not practicing it, then it's, it's like you're being a hypocrite. And I, I wrote that to some other day. I was writing a card to mention that. I said that one of the biggest things is easy is to be a hypocrite because you, you say one thing to people, but you really practice something different. And that's a hypocrite. And those are the strong words that Jesus used throughout the Gospels. That he criticized the Jewish people because they were hypocrites. They wanted to put forth a successful image to the people about something that they were not really practicing that themselves. There are two more things we're going to have to get them next time. I'm sorry to move so slow. I'm doing two reasons, but one of the reasons is because I have to think my way through the text. I haven't been able to go through it like I'd like to. But we're going to look at the content, and we're going to look at the conviction next time, because it's really very powerful. Paul, in the middle of suffering, is, is sharing his heart, how he's concerned for the church, and what he's been doing for the church, and what God has commissioned him to do. And in the middle of that, there is suffering and hardship. But that suffering and hardship is, is good. It comes with blessings. And that's true in your life as well. That is absolutely true. And I can, I can promise you. I don't have to want, I promise you that you're going to have hardship. Even if you're not a Christian, you're going to have hardship and difficulties. So am I. But let those hardships draw you to the Savior. 
I I still reflect, and I've told some of the fact I've told all of you about this, is when I'm in California, we had a I had a real time of a dry season in which I didn't have work and was really struggling to pay the rent and stuff. And I can remember waking up morning after morning about three in the morning, wide awake, and staring at the ceiling, but you couldn't see because it was dark, and asked the Lord why I need the money, I need the job, and I'm got rid of a good month, two months, three months past due and don't have it and I'm asking you to help me with that and I don't get anything. Just quiet. But God was working in that. He, he uh, was working through other people too. We had all kinds of provisions that would come home sometimes there'd be food on the on the uh, front porch, a bag of groceries or stuff and I didn't have anything inside. And when we got ready to move there were tons of people from the church that came over and we didn't say anything to anybody that came over and helped us move and pack, and so it was just very, very encouraging and uh, very challenging. And we just, it's, God is good. He really is good. He doesn't make mistakes. He's in charge. So let me close this prayer. Father, do thank you for, for Paul. Help us to be like him with heart, with commitment, with passion. I want that in my life. I can't generate it myself. But I know you can. I've asked you many times that I want to be faithful. I want you to generate whatever repentance you can and should in my life. Help me use my time. Help me have the burden of your people and for obedience to you. Help me to love you as I ought to love or to serve you as I ought to serve. And help us all to do that, Lord. We really are needy people. I do thank you for your goodness to us. We were looking this morning in John, and I really thank you for the lesson that we were looking at this morning and, and for what you have to say to us. And uh, pray that, that you would make us people that love the Savior more than we love ourselves, and that we would be committed to you. Teach us how to deny ourselves and to take up the cross, which is the emblem of execution, which we cannot do to ourselves. You have to do it. Take us our cross and do the follow you and to follow you closely. And that's just in Jesus' name. Thanksgiving.